Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 91 for Monday, November 21st, 2016. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How goes it, Mr. Kent? It's going great, Dave. How about you? Yeah, getting ready for Thanksgiving with the family here. But uh, Yeah, same here. Yeah, but all going well. No complaints. It's all good. Do you ever get uh, invites to do Christmas-specific shows, like holiday music specifically? Huh. We get into that time of year. Um, yeah, no. Well, it's yeah. The invites probably have already happened, right? Or the uh, the gigs are already booked. Um, I have. It's been a while. I, I mean, I've done a bunch of holiday parties where we might learn, you know, a few Christmas themed songs that fit. But even that's been a while. So I don't know that I've done. I mean, other than like playing in like high school and college and stuff, where you play the the holiday show. <laughs> I actually get. So we, the house rockers have a couple of holiday songs. We actually, once upon a time, did a holiday show where we learned about about 10 or 12 songs. And we took a lot of them, you know, with the horn section, we took a lot of them from the Setzer Christmas album and, um, and then a few Springsteen things and, you know, a few just miscellaneous things. Uh, But I have gotten the last couple of years asked to play. We have a big park in downtown San Jose that does a Christmas uh, display and it starts they have already started it's right around Thanksgiving and it goes through the first of the year and uh, they have a stage and, you know, they have carolers and that type of thing, but they invite different types of people to play holiday music. And I've done solo acoustic or duo acoustic shows of holiday music. So my, my repertoire is actually pretty decent. You know, I, I probably got 12 or 15 holiday songs. Huh? That's pretty good. So will you comes in handy? Yeah. You, yeah. That's right. I, I bet it does. I bet it does. Huh? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, we used to do, actually, now that you, you mentioned it, we did a couple of gigs with the responders where I seem to recall us learning more than a, more than just a couple of holiday tunes. It's always well, fun. Yeah, it is fun. And actually, as a working musician, I, last year I got two calls to like, one was like a car club that was having their Christmas party and paid really well. And, you know, they, you know, so it came in handy there. So as a working musician, uh, it's like another thing you have in your inventory to, you know, get different types of gigs in December. And uh, usually they pay pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Holiday parties always do pay well. They, they yeah. tend to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, huh. that's cool. Yep. That's cool. Well, that's good, man. Right. Fun stuff. Well, maybe, maybe we'll talk. I'll, I'll, I'll pull out a couple of them and talk about them. You know, as we get a little bit closer to the hol- to, to Hanukkah and Christmas and we'll just talk about what, what's out there and, and what you can use for inspiration to kind of find uh, interesting ways to play these things. If you're a rock artist. Yeah. So um, why don't we ask uh, you folks to send in your suggestions and we'll include it all in an episode maybe next week or the week after as we uh, as we do that. So feedback at giggabpodcast.com or find us on Facebook. Uh, the easiest way is giggabpodcast slash Facebook or giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook, I should say. Although you're There's a lot of stuff to draw on, so it'll be there interesting is. to see what people come. Yeah, come yeah. Up. I'm curious about that. Oh, that's good. Cool. Yeah. Hey, so the other thing that happens right after Christmas is that for most of us, 
uh, at least those of us that haven't done crazy things with our music and, and as it relates to our music business, uh, the tax year ends, which means that we need to deal with all that stuff. So let's talk a little bit about that here. Cause we've had some folks ask that question. Yeah, absolutely. Full disclosure, Dave and I are not accountants and not anything that we discuss about, obviously you have to check, hold up to reality with whoever advises you on your money. But right. Um, right. We get sued. Of, we each get sued by the IRS at least twice a year. So any of the advice that, uh, that we share is, is, is actually really bad advice. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's probably pretty seasoned, but yes, as Paul said, you got to check with your accountant. So the, the, the simplest place to start is what to do with, you know, typically you're going to get money coming in throughout the year, especially if, if you're a band leader or even if your, your band isn't organized such that you have a leader, someone is going to be getting the money coming in. And chances are, uh, if this conversation is relevant to you, you haven't organized your band as a separate LLC or anything like that. Um, I, I don't think most do. I mean, I think you have to be doing serious money to kind of go through the the trouble uh, of that cost and trouble of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, you know, so some person in your band is, is going to be the one that, that sort of has to deal with this stuff. And, and you've probably dealt with it throughout the year, right? You'll, you'll, someone will ask you say, Hey, who do I make the checkout to? And sometimes you need to fill out a W nine form, which means that that person who paid you is probably going to send you a, uh, 1099 at the end of the year saying, all right, you know, let's say it was a gig for a thousand bucks. Well, one member of the band is now on the hook for that whole thousand dollars worth of taxes. And that's not fair because chances are that person didn't keep all that thousand dollars. Chances are that person farmed that money out to the rest of the band. So the trick is you've got to make sure that that tax liability is spread out appropriately. I mean, if the, if the leader of the band kept half and spread out 500, well, then you got to deal with the other half. Or if you split it equally among the band, well, you know, deal with it that way. Uh, so what you got to do is you got to go back and, and look at how much you took in. And technically, the IRS requires you to account for all the money that you've taken in, including the money that came in cash or was otherwise not reported. Tips, everything. Right. Tip, oh, that's right. Yeah. Tips and everything. Yeah. So that's the technical advice. And we'll, we'll leave that advice there. Then on the other side, you can and should account for all the money that you spent. We'll start by talking about the money that you spent on your other musicians, but things like fuel and strings and sticks and heads and even guitars and drums and PAs, all of that stuff can uh, can be deductions for you. Sticking with the labor, go back and look. What did you pay each person for each gig? Add it up per person. And you can do this in like a Google Doc spreadsheet. It's, you know, this is about as, as detailed as you need to get. And you come up with a number. If that number is more than 600 bucks, generally you're going to have to send that person that you paid a 1099. And, uh, and then that way you can deduct what you paid them from your income. So if you paid, if you got, let's say you did 10 gigs for a thousand dollars a piece, you've got $10,000 worth of income. Uh, if you paid out eight, let's say you paid out 8,000 of that, right? So now you should only be taking $2,000 worth of income on your taxes, but you got to put 10,000 of income, 8,000 of expenses. You're probably going to have to fill out a schedule C again, your accountant can help with this. 
so that at the end you get to $2,000 worth of what we'll call profit. And then you're only paying taxes on the 2000 because the other people that you paid are paying it on the remaining eight. Did I get that right, right so, Paul? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So, you know, I keep a big spreadsheet gig by gig by gig. Uh, the gigs that I do are across the top and down the left-hand side of the spreadsheet are all of the musicians who, who I play with. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, money comes in, you, you, you know, you, you, again, some people might go as far as having full accounting, quick and quick books, that type of thing. Yeah. But I just use a, a, a simple uh, Google Doc, uh, Google Sheet. And um, so, yeah, the total amount in, if a gig pays $1,000, 1000 goes at the top under the gig name. And then I go down the list for each um, for each musician, and I put in how much I paid out to them. And so now I'm tracking kind of gross amounts yeah. in and gross amounts out. And then for me, at the end of the year, what I do is I send all the musicians a copy of this of this sheet and say, just so you know, here's what I'm, here's what I'm about to W W nine you on 1099, 1099, excuse me, 1099 you on. And you know, I will, as a leader, invariably I'll get really, you're going to claim, I claim everything. Sure. So invariably I'm going to get, you know, really, you you know, that I know that was cash. Do we have to do that? I don't want to take on anybody's liabilities. Right. Right. Oh, because you know, it all, it all comes around. Right. So if, if some person that I deal with, um, you know, is creative with their accounting and creates a problem and there's a, a path back to me. I don't want to be a part of the problem. So I'm actually fairly, you know, I, I very much of a stickler. So I, I claim it all. But the nice thing about, about being a musician is that there, there really are, you know, we don't get paid a lot and there are a lot of expenses to doing what we do, you know, right. Bad batteries for your strings, mileage, um, Again, check with your accountant, but, you know, I've been advised that, you know, typically a meal at a gig is a deductible thing. Usually only 50% deductible, but yes, that's right. Right. So, you know, so yep. there are these types of things, right? You know, you and I have to be careful. I, I don't know what I don't know. And I just turn over the shoebox, you know, and the, and the Google Docs to, to the person who does my taxes and, sure. and you know, comes out. So, um, um, but that's the thing, you know, for a hundred dollar gig, if, if it's if it's 50 miles away and you and you have a meal and you've had to buy strings, you know, it doesn't paint a pretty picture for the profitability of being a musician. No, but, but at least you're not paying taxes on top. If you if you're smart yes, about your deductions. Right. right. What's right is right. What's what's legal is legal. What's fair is fair. And, uh, you know, so so, you know, becoming uh, a, uh, aware of the types of things that you should be tracking on your personal expense side is, is a pretty yeah, that's just right. Just a smart thing to do. That's right. Yeah, there's the band leader portion of this, but but then everybody in the band, band leader and anybody else, whether you're playing with the same band all the time or you're playing with different bands, track every expense that you have that that might be related to the gig and then you're either going to do your taxes yourself and decide which ones you feel are fair or your accountant's going to do your taxes for you and and he or she'll help you decide uh which are are appropriate to take. But, yeah. uh, but make sure like I, you know, if you're not comfortable, a lot of a lot of folks, a lot of musicians I, I deal with are pretty comfortable with, you know, just deciding. Yeah. Like like you said, like this meal, I, I, I could I'd be willing to stand in front of a judge and say, yeah, that meal was was, you know, deductible on the job on the job. And and yes, your honor, that kind of thing. Hopefully you'll never have to stand in front of a judge. But I know a lot of folks that are. And if you're not that kind of a person, then get yourself an accountant. And maybe even if you are, you should still have an accountant. To uh, to help advise you. But the worst thing you could do is if you aren't that type of person uh, to 
take no deductions and just eat all the income every year because there's just no reason to do that. Especially if, you know, if you're taking in, I would say if you're taking in more than what, you know, a, a thousand bucks in, in music income, you're going to start paying tax. I mean, that's a good couple yeah. hundred bucks in taxes that you, Absolutely. that you're taking that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to pay. And so you might as well look for those deductions. You know, I, I, I find every deduction I possibly can. I use the, the concept of these are not my rules, right? Somebody else wrote these rules. I'm going to find the best path that I can through them. And I do have an accountant because I've got other businesses and stuff. And, and so I always run things by, uh, by him, but, um, but you got to take them. And, Absolutely. And it, it's not that hard to fill out a schedule. C. you could use uh quick book, uh, sorry, TurboTax online will help you with that. Uh, and that's actually a great thing if you're, you know, if you want to do it that way. So it's a, it's a one thing about this, about this Google doc, Google sheet that I use is, is I try my best as I go to note mileage to a gig and to my mileage. I'll share it with the guys if they ask, you know, but that's the mileage from my house. I mean, we all, you know, live within 10 miles of each other. Sure. But so, so it's helpful, but um, mileage is definitely one that, uh, you know, if you drive to your gigs that you get the, the benefit of. So, I just, you know, write that down as I go along. So that's, that's really helpful as well. I guess, I guess technically you would put down, you know, I, I can't think of what else would be an at, an at, an at gig expense besides a meal. You know, as a leader, you know, maybe if, uh, you know, if you sit down for a cup of coffee with a, with a guy who books you, you know, the owner of a, of a club or something sure. like that, that's a business conversation. Again, being very, very you know careful here, you know, Get a, get good official advice. We're just describing the types of stuff that might go into the basket of of uh, of of, uh, of tax deductions. Yeah, no, but it's good. You're right. Yeah, and and just keep keep notes. I I just go back and look at my calendar because yeah. because I'm someone who puts everything on my calendar, right? But it makes it easy. Not only do I not have to think about remembering things going forward, but it provides a trail, and I can go right. back and look and say, oh yeah, here's all these gigs. Oh, I forgot about that one. You know that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. So, so the year ends and technically I think it's by January 20th. It might be by February 1st. Anyone who's going to be sending you a 1099 should have it to you. Right. But right? the same is true if you're a band leader. Yeah. You're supposed to, it, they're supposed to be in the mail. I think you're right about that being, I thought it was end of January, but it, you might be right about it being the 20th. But that also means if you've paid anyone and you need to 1099 them, you have to send your 1099s out before the ones coming to you arrive in yep. most cases. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to um, talk a little bit about, about that whole 1099 ing process because it's something that I've done myself for, you know, as long as I've had the band. Yeah. Um, so how, I, I'm curious. Yeah. I, I want to hear this because I, I'm curious. Do you do yours manually with a typewriter or do you do it online? How do you, how do you do it? Yeah. So I have used um, Quicken has had an online payroll yep. processing thing. And I've used it, but it's gotten worse and worse and worse over the years. I mean, uh. they, they don't take very good care of this system. And, and it, it, it like a little slight change, like finding, uh, making sure that the, you know, you, if you set up one of the people you pay and you put in their social security number um, and, uh, and, um, and their address and everything like that. And you want to check it like the little changes to, you know, make sure that everything's all your ducks in a row seem to change every year. I got so frustrated last year that after 10 years of using it, I think it's been about 10 years. So 11 years total that, that you know, we were making enough money that. that sure. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I literally, I ditched it. I couldn't deal with it anymore. 
And uh, a friend of mine who is who does these types of things for people for small businesses, she um, prepared the 1099, sent them out, filed the paperwork with the huh. government. And that, so that was that. But it, I've been looking for a replacement of that. And a couple of good suggestions they've gotten is there's an online. And again, this is like I think the Quicken one was like 59 bucks or 39 bucks. OK, um, you know, and so, you know, it's not cost a little not bad, but it costs it, a little bit of money. But they do all the filing with the government. Though. Remember, yep. right? That's, that's it's an accounting expense. Yep. Um, so the, the the companies that have come to mind lately, there's one called Zen Payroll, which is kind of this new software as a service company that yep. it's a, you know it's basically a website, uh, and you go online and. So is that now your, called Gusto? I just I'm trying to get this for the show notes for everybody. It looks. Like oh, Zen, I haven't looked for it this Zen, year. Zen Payroll redirects to Gusto, G U S T O. So perhaps right. that's it. Yep. There, and then uh, there's another company called Zenefits that has a, which is an online benefits company, but they have a payroll and, and uh, you know, same type of thing. And, you know, I, I don't, I, my understanding that there's no problem with either of these and there's, there's no problem like, like the Quicken one, if you decide to go that path, they'll still get it filed for you. It was just a pain in the butt to use. And I got frustrated with it and, you know, sure. so I, I just, someone on principle and someone out of frustration, I walked away from the from the Quicken service for um, years. I used one called filetaxes.com and it seems like that now is part of something called great land. So uh, I'll throw that out there too. I think I used it last year. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Let me take a quick look and see if there's any other that I remember that I did any research on. So I'm look online payroll to see if there's anybody who comes up. Yeah. But sure. it, these things, like, like you said, I mean, for, 50 bucks or less. And I think into it was like, it starts at like $15 and, and that gets you three 1099s. And then there's a, a fee for, for additional ones. So, you know, that's about the price that you're going to pay is somewhere right. 50 bucks or less, unless you played with hundreds of musicians all year, th- th- that's all it's going to cost you. And not only, so when you file a 1099, you have to send it, send it to the person that, that you paid, but you also have to send, I think it's a 1096 form to the IRS, which is which, the sum of it all, but the sum of it all. And that's how the kind of, and then they expect the person that you sent it to, to claim it. And, and that's how they, they complete the circle or, or not. Well, those um, things, how that's how the, everything should match up, right? right. So, that's how it should be match up. So know that if you get a 1099, uh, the IRS already knows about the money that's that's listed on that. You can't just hide it and pretend that, you know, it didn't, it didn't exist because they, they almost certainly know about that money. So, yeah, yep. yeah, you got to you got to file. And again, check with your accountant on this. But as a musician, you almost always are going to have to file a Schedule C as a self-employed entity. Yes. Um, again, your accountant will know more. But I, I've heard of musicians getting 1099s and things and just filing them as though they're part of their normal taxes. Uh the IRS probably doesn't care a whole lot if it's not a whole lot of money. So they might not come after you for this, but generally speaking, if you're a musician, you're self-employed. And so you're actually subject to paying more taxes in addition to paying your federal income taxes and your state income taxes. If you live in a state where you have those, uh, you've also got to pay self-employment taxes on that music portion of your income. So, because you're not an employee, you're just a contractor. Again, your accountant will know all this, but but you got to be careful, especially as you start earning more and more, that you aren't just trying to hide it in your simple, easy 1040 because it it's not going to fly. At some point, 
Uh, the IRS. And I mean, listen, I've gotten calls from the IRS. I've dealt with audits. Uh, they're not awful people. But what is awful is if you've done something wrong, they'll say they'll they'll say, yep, we understand. No problem. Uh, here's what you're going to you're going to have to pay back taxes. And because you didn't pay on time and you didn't file correctly, there's penalties and interest. So really, all you're doing is avoiding the penalties and interest by doing it right the first time, which I highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, as we're getting into this conversation, it makes sense to maybe have a, an accountant you know, come mm. on the show because, you know, things like uh, those self-employment taxes. Right. Is yeah. that on the is that on the gross if it's Schedule C income or is that on the net if it's Schedule C income? Well, if you, it, yeah, it's on the net, right? But it well, it depends. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> so yep. so we're giving you all enough information to be dangerous. And um, but at least now you know that the, yeah. you know because I've told people you can't just file that on your normal taxes. I mean, you you do whatever you want, but you shouldn't. You're not supposed to. The rules are written differently. And I've had people say, oh, seriously, I had no idea. So that's kind of what we're here for. We're getting you yeah, past. If we were to sum no this idea. all up. Yeah. yeah. If we were to sum this all up, keep track of any money you spend in any way. Instruments, repairs, you know, supplies like strings or sticks, batteries. Keep track of all the money you pay to to perform your service as a musician. Keep it all. Um, keep track of all the money you take in. And then talk to someone who's who's qualified, in, which is the, the obvious duh thing. But, um, you know, a bit of an understanding that there is a right way to do it and it is in your best interest to do it the right way to keep you from getting a headache later. But if you did not know of all the things, collect everything related to you playing and then ask. Right. Ask, ask your tax person. Right. Um, a couple other online payroll services. There's one called Shore Payroll that I've heard of. ADP, of course, is a huge company. They have an online payroll service for this type of thing. And that's really what this is. It's online payroll, whether it's yeah. whether it's payroll where you're taking employment taxes out or just 1099ing someone and you just are, you know, filing the legal paperwork to track that you've paid someone over. Again, Dave said this. It's over six hundred dollars is when you owe someone. So you as a band leader. Typically, it, it depends, because if they have their own business set up, then maybe you don't need to 1099 them. But but yeah, generally speaking, it's six. hundred. Right. Bucks. Yeah. Um, uh, so you as a band leader, you know, you may have taken in $10,000, but you may have paid only $6,000 out to, to musicians who have made over 600, but you may have a bunch of musicians who you, who are under $600. And then there's another way to account for paying people in gross that, um, yeah, that yeah. You can still, you can still deduct it, even though you're not sending them a 1099, of course. Yeah, right. That's right. Hey, Paul, are, you, are we done with the tax thing? Because, you know, I, I like the tax <laughs> thing. Downer. Yeah, but it sounds like you do, too. We might be we might be similar in those regards. But I think most people probably don't get as excited about filing taxes as I do. So I don't know. I think Just uh, our gift to you. Do it right the first time. Yeah. Avoid Try and avoid problems. You know, be accurate. Take what's due you. Um, report what you've gotten, um, you know, and uh, and uh, your life will be a lot easier. Share anything should anything come up to challenge your your veracity? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I've been playing with uh, with a couple of. I want to I want to do a little bit of gear gab here, if we if I may, because I love gear gab much better than tax gab. Same. Yeah. Exactly. We got to like flush the tax gab out. So uh, I've had over the over the past couple of months, I've had the opportunity to test out a couple of Yamaha's electronic drum kits, and I, I got to be honest, it's you know I went into this very hesitant because I, I, I like playing acoustic drums. Right. And, uh, and electronics have never felt right to me. Uh, uh, you know, I tried some a number of years ago, 
but recently figured, okay, the folks at Yamaha reached out and said, yeah, you should try this. And, okay, fine. I'll try it. So I've actually tried two kits. Um, they're DTX 562K, which is the kit of the 500 series of their 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 model. And then I've tried the DTX, DTX 760K, which is the 700 series kit. By and large, these seem very similar. Uh, you get more sounds and more functionality and flexibility with the 700 series stuff. And some of the pads are a little bigger. Um, but um, and that's not necessarily always a good thing. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but Yamaha has really done something nice with their DTX series pads. Uh, what they did is they, they sort of looked and decided, well, a drum is like a big air bubble, right? Because it, you know, it's got a little hole in the side generally, but it's this big thing, you know, with a piece of wood on the outside in a circle and, uh, and then two heads, generally two heads these days. It's not the seventies. We're not using concert toms anymore. Um, it, where, you know, you've got air in the middle and there's that feeling of hitting this this piece of this head piece of plastic that's sitting over this bubble of air. And so these DTX pads, they they made of tiny little air bubbles so that you're not just beating the heck out of one little piece. And I got to say, they feel good. They feel like playing drums. Uh, it, I mean, it makes all the difference in the world in terms of playability. Sound wise, here's the deal. There's nothing that you can do in a small speaker that's going to make air move the way real drums move air. Even in a small room playing at very quiet volumes, you are moving massive amounts of air when you hit that kick drum. Even when you hit a floor tom, like if you're going to head down the electronic path, know that. If you want that feeling, you're going to need a full range speaker setup with a sub that can really, really move air. I keep I always say that the larger the gig, the greater a chance that you have of electronics actually working small club gigs where you feel like, oh, I can keep the volume down. Yeah, you can. But unless you're really thinking about the sound and really using something to move that low end of air, it's just going to feel empty. Um, so, you know, there's an, there's a guitar player equivalent to this, right? So, yep. you know, all these modeling technologies and there are a lot of them now that, you know, it's line six, I think was, sure. was one of the first ones to put it out, but you know, Vox has one and, you know, boss and, and many companies have them. Um, it is that thing is like, you can electronically mimic the sound of moved air, but it is not the same as moving air. And that's where I think you get kind of that. I happen to think that the sound of, of digital drums, electronic drums, is a pretty cool thing in any environment. But but to me, and again, I'm not a drummer. Sure. To me, the sound of modeled guitar effects and modeled guitar amps, and it, even worse, modeled guitar speaker simulations, where they're they're really trying to mathematically um, duplicate the the what happens when air goes through a speaker. These things sound incredibly fake and wrong to me. I mean, it just on stage, it doesn't feel right. It's sure. weird to hear that level of distortion without having any without having any air go by you. Yeah. But, oh, but- I see. Oh, yeah, for sure. So here's what's interesting is I actually felt a lot better about the sound of these when playing them than I did, uh, you know, and I've used them for a couple of rehearsals and, and things like that with other musicians. And it was actually the guitar players that said, oh, okay, 
like th- th- I hear these sounds, but it's like you're playing in another room. Um, it, it It's not you're not here with us. And I realized I'm feeling myself hitting the drums because I'm actually hitting them. But yes. no one else is feeling that yes. happen. Right. It's I'm the only one. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it's a very weird thing. But th- see, the thing I feel like. There's there's a lot of opportunity to use electronics, especially if you integrate them in with an acoustic kit and use them for sounds that you may not otherwise be able to have. I mean, with with one or two electronic pads integrated into a a normal acoustic kit, you now have opened up your sonic possibilities endlessly. Right. Are you going to carry a gong with you? Probably not. You know, are you going to be able to play a triangle in the middle of playing a groove. No, because you can't put down your stick and grab the triangle and the beater and hit it and then put it down and grab a stick. But with a trigger, yes, you can. Right. And, and the same with hand percussion and that sort of thing. If you want to open up your sonic options, I think electronics can be a great thing, uh, but they can also be good for that low volume rehearsal thing. If you don't have a soundproof room or a room where you're able to get yep. loud. I mean, it, it you know, if, if if you have to make a, a compromise in the sound and, and use them that way, that's fine. Um, and, and so this was the, this was the interesting part. I I had played with the, the 500 series kit first. So this is I wouldn't quite call it entry level, but, um, you know, I think it's about. 1800 bucks for what they call a five piece kit. So it's three pads that you'd use as toms, one that you'd use as a snare. And that's a different type of pad that has a little more sensitivity uh, so that it's functional as a snare. And then a kick drum pad and three cymbal pads, a hi-hat pad, uh, and then two other cymbal pads that you could use as a crash or a a ride or whatever you want to assign to them. Um, And that kit, that 562K, I really liked it. Because it was easy to move around. Everything comes on a rack or you put everything on a rack. Of course, you assemble it, uh, except for the hi-hat and the and the kick drum sort of assembly. It's a pedal on a on a pad, but very easy to move around, very easy to, to collapse. And and you could you know fit it in a car without having to totally take everything apart. Uh, and so th- that was nice. And the, and the 500 series uh, sound module, not the most full featured thing you could get, but certainly full featured enough. And uh, and both of these, the 500 and the 700, you can program with your iPhone so you can they have a sort of a limited interface on them. But if you plug them in via USB to your iPhone, you can make all kinds of crazy changes, individual tweaks of individual drums. You can build kits. You can set the EQ. I mean, it's just like you can do whatever you want. They're also wonderful. A lot of people are are kind of hobbyist recording people. Right. Yeah. You know, and. And you don't have access to a studio and these types of things, and you don't have access to you know places where you can where you can move air. I think electronic drums are remarkable things that have a lot of utility. To me, even even recorded electronic guitar modeling doesn't sound right. Huh? I I, I think uh, yeah maybe. I, I I have you have you tried to A B test it? Because I think you can get there. You think, you think it's a feel thing? I think it's a feel thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's what was weird playing with these 500 series drums the first time was and I know I noticed this and everybody else did, too. Everything sounded like you just like you said, like each drum was sitting alone in a studio being played. And I happened to be playing all of them at the same time, but not together. There, There was nothing in the electronics of the of the brain, if you will, that 
sort of synthesized that that feeling of pulling it all together. And I mentioned this to Yamaha and they're like, oh, that's interesting. You need to try the 700s because we've addressed that. And they have. So like with the 500s, when I if I hit the kick drum, it was like every other electronic kit I ever played. I hit it and uh, you just hear the kick drum. Now, if you come in and sit it like a normal drum set and hit the kick drum, you hear the snare buzz, the cymbals rattle a little, the toms definitely vibrate. All you got to do is put your hands on the toms and hit the kick drum again, and you'll hear a massive difference in sound, right? Because there's all these sympathetic vibrations happen because these things are all happening right next to each other. And the 700 series kits, the, 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 I mean, it has the capability of doing it and the kits that are built into the brain have this, all these sympathetic vibrations exist. And so you start getting that sort of buzz of the kit when you're playing anything and it starts to feel a little more natural. It really makes a difference. Um, all, all those, you know, kind of accounting for those sympathetic vibrations. It's pretty cool. So you, you have the 700 series? I do. Yeah. I, they, they sent me both, right? They sent me the 500s. I sent that back. They sent me the 700s. That's what I have right now. And it makes a huge difference. It's still not enough to convince anybody else in the room, you know, if they close their eyes, that there's a real drum set in there. But it starts sounding more like a real drum set as opposed to here's, you know, six instruments that are being played and we get to hear them all at the same time, but not as one, right? I think of a drum set as one instrument. And, and so, you know, when the snare buzzes, cause you hit the Tom, that's normal. That's just how physics works. Right. And, and they've, they've accounted for that with the 700s. It's, it's pretty cool that my only complaint about the 700s is that the kit, this is not something that would make life easy to gig with the, the drum pads are all much bigger. The rack is all much bigger. It's not nearly as like foldable and portable, um, so I, I mean, listen, a drum set isn't all that foldable or portable either, but it feels to me like if you're going to make the compromise of using electronics for an otherwise electric full, you know, uh, full rock gig, you might as well get the benefit of carrying, you know, an easier to carry, uh, setup. And, and the 700 series is the kind of thing that I feel like, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to have to move that around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a regular drum set. I mean, I move drum sets around all the time. It's not that bad, but it's like you don't get it. There's no there's no cartage benefit with the with the larger electronic kit. So but well, the, uh, the bass drum pads cool. They've they 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 updated that and it's it actually feels like you're hitting a bass drum. It's the same sort of concept um, with the 500 series kit. You're just hitting like a rubber pad with your with your pedal with this. You're hitting a drum that's got or yeah, it's kind of a drum. That's just got a trigger in it and it, it yeah. feels more real. Yeah, for sure. makes a big difference. Yeah. Will you, um, you know, try and gig with it primarily for a while and see how that, how the feel comes. I, I don't think I, I thought about doing it for a theater gig that I had when I did, um, uh, what was it? It was a smaller theater gig back in the spring and I had just gotten the 500 series kit then. And I thought about doing it for it. And I mentioned it to the music director and he had a really bad experience with, with someone playing electronic drums about a year prior at a gig that he did. And he was like, Oh no, absolutely not. Like it was obvious that I would not be hired for the gig if I showed up with electronic drums. <laughs> so I was like, yep. Okay. No problem. <laughs> and, it, and it was a low volume gig. That's sort of where it falls apart because you, there is a sound of stick hitting plastic or, you know, mesh drum head. Right. 
And so you have to make it loud enough so that you're not hearing that over the sound that you actually want it to make. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, this was a low volume gig. I thought maybe it would work, but uh, I, I couldn't convince the music director to let me uh, get away with it. it. And I don't well, think I could convince the fling guys either. <laughs> <laughs> so under the guise of, um, of acoustic instruments being made to sound, sound differently. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about my acoustic guitars. I have a couple of acoustic guitars that are beautiful guitars. If I don't plug them in. So I have a Taylor 914, uh, beautiful guitar. I mean, acoustically, it is really oh, yeah. That's fantastic. a nice guitar. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I also have a Martin HD28V. Again, acoustically, beautiful guitars. But they're also, they're pretty expensive guitars. Yeah. And um, I bought them and I didn't learn my lesson. You know, I, I assumed that I fooled myself when I was playing them because I love them so much acoustically that I would grow to like the, the plugged in sound Taylor. So I've had the nine fourteen for quite a while. And, um, the original electronics in this Taylor is what they call their expression system, which, which was, I don't know, I think in, in hype now, there's a lot of, uh, marketing hype, uh, looking back over my shoulder about what this was able to do. You know, the, the, the tone, the volume and tone controls are not that are not expressive, but the, the way that they amplify the guitar is with magnetic sensors. Uh, one was, um, string sensor coil under the neck of the guitar. And then there was also one that was on the body and, and it just always sounds thin and brittle to me, nasal actually. Hmm. And I'm guessing because there is an expression system too, which is an, in, in which they've been using since I think 2014, um, which they went back to a, a piezo system in the bridge. Um, but under the saddle, um, they must have gotten enough complaints that they needed to totally re-engineer and bail on the first, on the first, um, uh, expression system. system. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, that sort of happens, right? You roll something out and you find it doesn't work and you fix the parts and iterate and out you go. Well, sort of. And this is actually my point. These are beautiful, very expensive guitars, right? right? It is, it is somewhat incredible to me uh, that, um, that the electronics are such a detriment to the guitar themselves. I mean, mm. you know, literally, I mean, if we're going to be honest here, a B systems and then play them with a microphone just pushed up to the to the guitar. Oh, sure. That's what it's supposed to sound like. And interestingly enough, so so the Martin guitar again, fantastic acoustically, um, and it has a Fishman Aura system in it. And then the Martin one does a somewhat clever thing where it comes with nine uh, pre modeled classic microphones. So you know, you know, very expensive uh, studio, but it, it has that kind of non natural sound to me which to me is a, a big sin for an acoustic guitar. Is there anything more natural sounding, you know, a drum or an acoustic guitar, right? Right, right. And so, so the, the tones that come out of this Martin, similarly, I'm just, I'm just not happy with, I love playing a guitar, you know, around the house and, and I would record with the microphone pushed up to it, but I, I cannot gig with these guitars disappointingly. But the weird thing is, and people will say that it's a holy grail to be able to do this. I have Takamini guitars. And just, I was just going to ask about Takamini because those are the ones as a, you know, non-guitar player. I mean, I play a little bit, but not really. So as a non-guitar player, those are the ones whose electronics always seem to work the best at gigs. And isn't that an interesting thing? And that's nope. kind of my point. So, you know, I've got a Takamini and it's got its cool tube preamp in it. There's actually a tube that's part of this. And that's what I played when you were out here. It sounds warm. It sounds um, natural. And it's just as really remarkable to me that, you know, the two most famous guitar manufacturers, Taylor and Martin, 
at the top end of their line are rolling the dice with with questionable electronics. I, I'm being kind of harsh here, but I think it's accurate. I, I agree with you. Yeah. 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 I, I, so, I, I, and I would say, I'm trying to think, I think Jimmy plays most of his gigs with a Yamaha uh, uh, acoustic guitar that's got pickups in it. And I would say those sound better than the Taylor that, uh, that I've heard Russ play at, at gigs. It, it's tough. I don't know why that those Taylor electronics don't have the sound of a guitar. They have a sound. And if that's the sound you want, then great. But they, they don't sound like a guitar easily. You've got to really mess with them to get entirely it. agreed. And, and I've tried outboard EQ processing yeah, to, try right, right. to compensate for what I'm not getting out of the guitar. And, you know, it just kind of muddies the, yeah. the waters up a little bit. Again, they are fantastically manufactured, luthiered uh, oh, you know, pieces of, of, of art. And they sound but, great without the pickups. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But um, Takamini is, is what is, uh, you know, I have two or three Takaminis with different preamps in them. They consistently sound better than these two, you yeah. know, kind of, those are two, you know, 914 and, and an HD 28. Those are kind of hallmark guitars for those companies. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it doesn't get much nicer. I mean, it gets yeah. nicer. Don't get me wrong. You could spend a lot more, but yeah, those aren't cheap guitars. Those are, those are highly recommended. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, I, I'm really curious to hear what the guitar players who listen to the show, what they do and whether they agree. There's, there's a lot, uh, you know, I did a lot of research on these things. There's a lot of dissatisfaction with Taylor Electronics. And Steve, who I play in an acoustic group, he has an older Taylor that doesn't have an expression system. He put in, I believe, an, maybe K&K or Fishman, um, and his guitar sounds really good, right? <laughs> That's a shame. It, yeah, and, and it's, well, it's, it's not a shame, but it's no, a shame that it, that, that exists. It's a shame that it has to be that way. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of discussion about the about the dissatisfaction with Taylor's expression systems, um, less so about this Fishman Aura system that's in the Martin, but it's still not natural. I mean, again, if you if you're to me, the benchmark is is the amplified sound the same as the unamplified sound, just right. louder. Right, and th- that's what I find with the Takamine is a very warm, natural sounding, you know, very real acoustic feel. Very, yeah, you don't have to mess with it. Yeah, it is. You know, acoustic guitars are really important to me. I you know spend a lot of time with acoustic guitar in my hands. And, you know, the feel of, of the vibration of the acoustic guitar coming through my body, when what you hear in your ears doesn't match, the, you know, that overall experience of playing acoustic guitar, it, it's very unnerving to me. Yeah. So um, I've been thinking about upgrading the Taylor to the Expression System too, but the sound samples that I've heard online doesn't sound a ton different. Why don't Not, you get a, a, a pickup like Steve has and, and just go that route, take the Taylor electronics out, use somebody else's? Um, it's a little harder than that because oh, the, the Taylor okay. trunks are kind of tooled in. You know, there's drilling for the for the tone controls and okay. you know on the top of the guitar. So it's a little bit messier than that. Um, and I don't know what happens if you right. you know to the overall tone of the guitar if you do that. Um, but um, yeah, so huh. so Takamini does it for me consistently. Um, and for sitting around the house, there's nothing better than the Taylor. And actually, the Takamine might even sound a little better with the electronics. You know, you, you could say that Martin has that Martin, you know, rich, you know, bluegrass sound. Uh, really fun to play, unplugged in. Plugged right. in, all of a sudden starts to fall apart. So I would love to hear from the guitar players out there. Have you done an Expression System 1 to Expression System 2 upgrading your Taylors? Um, and if anybody has an HD28V, um, you know, have you there? You can actually kind of go deeper into the electronics there and kind of custom um, roll your EQ on these things. And I've done a little bit of that, but there's still this kind of overall 
nasal quality to the tone, thin quality to the tone that uh, is not pleasant to me plugged in. So huh. anyway, Takamini does it for me consistently. Two or three different preamps that they have, not just the cool tube, but other you know ones that don't have the tube. They seem to be better consistently at these things. Certainly better um, for aggressive strumming. And what, actually, I should say for Martin, you know, I have a, a, a Mare, John Mare model Martin, and the um, electronics in that are fantastic. I think I played that one when we were together also. Okay. Okay. Ah, cool. So speaking of sound in your ears, I do have one more thing to add to uh, to our gear gab section here. And that is, uh, if you remember when Jerry Harvey was on, I mentioned he was the one who founded Ultimate Ears. And I mentioned that I was using a set of Westones and he, Westone and, and Ultimate Ears had a little legal issue uh, early on when, when Westone tried, tried to screw Ultimate Ears. Uh, so Jerry had to, I, I told him, I said, don't hang up when I tell you this. Uh, and, and he said he was fine with it. And then under his breath, he said, let's get in touch after the show because uh, we got to fix that. And, and sure enough, he, he delivered on that. So I'm actually listening uh, as we speak now to a set of uh, JH audio Layla's, which are the top of the line of, of the JH audio. They make stuff all the way across the price range. The, the Layla's are at the price point of, if you have to ask, don't even go further. Um, but I'll say these things sound fantastic. They, they, they you know, they're custom fit. So uh, I can't really speak to the fit in a general sense. Uh, but what I can say is I've probably had 10 different sets of, of custom fitted earphones. Um, any of them can fit you perfectly and they all should. If you happen to get a set, you know, you'll go get molds made or now, you know, there's some places doing 3D scans. But once you get that done and they make your earphones and they send them to you, if they don't fit, you know, the, the company will encourage you to do this. But so do I contact the, the manufacturer and just tell them, here's what doesn't fit. You know, here's the thing. They might have you visit one of their labs or an audiologist or something just to get it tweaked. But so these just happen to fit perfectly out of the box. Um, and that's been about maybe 60 percent of my experience has been that way. And, and then the other 40 has been uh, with other other manufacturers has been, been actually even with Jerry in the beginning at Ultimate. My first set of Ultimate Ears didn't fit at all, um, but you just figured out. But the sound on these, I mean, they're insane. These things have, I think, 12 drivers per ear, uh, which is, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> because I suppose because Jerry can, right? But um, yeah, they've got four lows, four mids and four highs. They're all balanced armatures. Uh, the way that they, uh, I, I mentioned uh, when I had my, uh, ear that I lost a couple of weeks ago at, at that bitter pill gig, uh, the, the cable had just come out. Well, these have a, a, like a screw nut on the end of them, on the end of the cable that screws right onto the, um, onto the earpiece. So there's no way that this is going to fall off. Um, and it's got an interesting thing the the cable has a little, a da- like a little set of dials in it, one for the right ear and one for the left ear. And I can actually control how much low end goes to each ear. Wow. Yeah. So you've got like this little low end. It's, it's both a roll off and a roll on. You can kind of put it in the middle where you get what it should have or what they, they would set it to. And then if you want less or more, you can adjust from there. And um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's the Layla's are built as a, a reference or mastering IEM. So it's supposed to give you a, a flat sound, it's for, you know, mixing. It's for doing actually what I'm doing right here where we're recording a show and we want to hear everything. And I will say, uh, I, this is the second podcast I've done with him. I did Mac Geek Gab with him yesterday. And 
I trust that the sound that's going to the tape at this point, tape uh, to digital is what <laughs> is what I want because it, it, and so I didn't let the fact that these sound there that the, the sound is radically different to me. I hear a lot more low end and actually a lot more high end out of these than I was getting out of the two driver West tones um, that I'd been using for the last 10 years or so. But um, now I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to it and hearing more and it's like, Oh wait, okay. Yeah. I can, I can tweak a little bit out, but um but yeah, they sound fantastic. They fit great. They look cool. So it's, um, it, Jerry it, but they're Jerry Harvey. Right. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, really kind of started this whole thing. And, um, and it, it's, you know, custom fits are not going to be cheap. Uh, but you can get, uh, you know, I think, I think his, his three X pros, the JH three X pros, I think they started about 600 bucks, which what do the Layla's cost 2,800. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, if you have to ask the question, Paul, <laughs> the, the conversation should just end. Right. Because there's other stuff, you know, but for 600 bucks isn't bad for a three driver uh, custom earpiece. I mean, that that's that's going to serve. I would say it's going to serve, you know, certainly a weekend warrior extremely well. The the UE sevens that uh, that I was using until I lost one of them. Uh, we're a three driver setup and you know, it, it served me extremely well. I think that you have the UE seven pros too, right, Paul? Yeah. 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 So, you know, that, that kind of thing, it's not cheap. I don't recommend starting with custom fit earphones for your first foray into, uh, in-ear monitors, because it, if you wind up not being able to make them work, it's an expensive, uh, sort of drain, but, but once you know that it's going to work, it's, I think it's oh. a good deal. Yeah. So thanks, Jerry, for, uh, for, for making me go get impressions made and, and checking these out. But uh, it's good stuff. So, All, All right. right, man. Anything else that you want to add? Uh, I think I think we've flushed out the tax gab with plenty of gear gab. So I feel good about that. But yes, if there's any, any, anything else you want to you want to talk through? Are we good? We're good, man. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, Paul, as always. Always be performing, folks. Visit us, uh, giggab.com slash Facebook. Come and join the, uh, the fun in the community over there. Happy Thanksgiving, Dave. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. 